Well, brethren, let's uh, turn in our Bibles to 1 John and uh, chapter 5. 1 John and chapter 5. That's the book that we are going through in our morning services on the theme of uh, uh, assurance of salvation, and we are now in the, the final section of this book, First John chapter 5, uh, we will begin reading from the 13th verse. Uh, this morning, we are looking at the assurance that if you are a Christian, you will persevere to the end. The Bible reads in First John Chapter 5, beginning with verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All Wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Well, I trust if you've been coming uh, over the last few weeks, you will realize that we um, have been looking at this passage where this phrase of knowledge keeps popping up almost in every verse. The apostle there has already said in verse 13 that those who believe in the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He's also spoken about knowing answered prayer when he said in verse uh, 15, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Uh, today, we're looking at the next knowledge, and that knowledge this time has to do with knowing that we will persevere, that although there will be challenges, with respect to our Christian lives, nonetheless, God is able, and consequently, 
will bring us safely to heaven. And that's the phrase that we find in verse 18. Verse 18. The Bible says there, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who has been who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Clearly, there, John lays this point of the perseverance of the saints under three spiritual facts, um, which I think it is helpful for all of us who claim to be Christians to, to, to meditate on, uh, to chew over, and indeed to rejoice in. I recall um, I was converted in 1979, and it took me a year to be baptized. And one of the reasons why I delayed that long was because, yes, I, I, I could sense that God had done something in me. I wasn't the guy I used to be before. But the last thing I wanted was to, to come out in public uh, and say, now I'm a Christian, and then I blow it. That's what I was concerned about. Uh, and so it took me an entire year. In fact, it was exactly one year I was saved on 30th uh, March and got baptized 30th March the following year. There must have been a leap year somewhere in between because I was saved on a Friday and got baptized on a Sunday. But it was... As, you know, they would ask for people to be baptized, and I sort of thought, no, 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 you know, let's wait and see. Again, another class, ah, let's wait and see. Uh, and then finally I thought, well, look, uh, I might as well uh, give it a go now. Uh, I'm, I'm missing out on too many uh, baptismal opportunities. And what kept me back was this same issue of perseverance. Because none of us wants to make a fool of ourselves, isn't it? I mean, you don't want to start college and fail. Eh? You don't want to get a job and be fired. You don't want that. You, you, you want whatever you do to be successful. Now, you know, school or college or, or a job may, may be for a few years, but, you know, when you make a profession of faith, you know that it's for the rest of your life. You also know that your relatives are watching. Your friends are watching. You, you've claimed to be a Christian. The last thing you want is for them to discover that you are now doing the same things together, the things that are wrong. And so I was held back, but I'm not even sure whether I was convinced of assurance of salvation before I was, rather, uh, perseverance before I was baptized or not. But definitely, when I came to realize that when God begins a work, he never leaves it half done. When the Lord saves you, he doesn't abandon you halfway along the way. He will actually take you to glory. That is not so much me and my determination as God and his determination. Uh, I... I I began to rejoice in salvation. I, I began to be, to be willing to, to fly all my flags high, knowing very well that it's not about me. It's not my reputation. It is God's reputation. 
He, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For the sake And the Bible here is saying, no. No. If you are regenerate, if you are born of God, which is what it means to be a Christian, and this is not referring to some outward act that you did in response to the gospel or being baptized in water as our friends have been baptized here. What it is teaching is that at the point at which you are converted, the first act that takes place is not you repenting of your sins. The first act that takes place is God giving you spiritual birth. Clearly, when it happens initially, you are not conscious. And the consciousness is when you are convicted of your sin. That's what makes you realize something is happening here and consequently you repent. But when you read the Bible, you soon discover that prior to that conviction of sin, prior to you repenting and believing in Jesus, God had acted. He had planted his seed in you. To borrow the picture of 1 John chapter 3. He had awakened you from spiritual death. And consequently, you cried to him for salvation. And what we are learning here is that everyone that God does this work in, he, he brings about a, a moral transformation. He removes from you that heart of sin and puts in you a new heart, a heart that loves righteousness so that out of that spiritual heart transplant, you are enabled to desire God, to desire a life of righteousness, and consequently, you begin to pursue it. That's the new birth. And if you remember when Nicodemus met with the Lord Jesus Christ by night and said to him, teacher, you surely must be one who's come from God because nobody can do what you're doing unless it's from God. Jesus, out of love for him, gave him words that must have been like a blow between the eyes. He said to Nicodemus, look, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. With all your religious knowledge, and he was of all individuals, when you are now part of the Pharisees, and among the Pharisees you are even in the Sanhedrin, you must have a lot of head knowledge concerning the words of God. But Jesus, who is God, could see that this chap was still dead. And consequently, he was telling him, that you need this new birth, this new birth. And without the new birth, you still are going to hell, Nicodemus. May I say the same thing to us in here this morning? You may have been coming to church all your life. Born from parents that come to this same church. And consequently, from the day of your napkins up to down, You've been hearing these messages and your capacity to, to answer 
doctrinal theological questions is nine out of ten. But if your heart has not been regenerated by God, the evidence can be seen. You come to church, probably you even regret something of your past life. When you get back there, it's back in sin. Yes, hidden sin, but sin for that matter. The problem is this. You have not been born again. That's the problem. Because as we are told in this text, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. It will not be your way of life. Yes, as we shall see, you may fall into sin, but you definitely will not remain there because Jesus would have changed your heart and changed it permanently. Now, there is a connection between verse 18 and the previous two verses. You remember last week we were dealing with praying for individuals that we are witnesses to the fact that they have sinned. Verse 16, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. There's a, a connection there. And I hope we'll see it as we go along. That part of the DNA of our own perseverance is when God, the Son, speaks to the Father on our behalf in heaven. We saw that a few months ago, maybe years by now, in chapter 2 and verse 1. And that's what John goes on to deal with. But let me read it, and then we will read it in the text. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And an advocate is someone who speaks to the Father or speaks to the, the judge on your behalf. That's who an advocate is. He, he, he is engaged within the corridors of the law, within the courtroom, on behalf of a client. And this is what Jesus Christ does on behalf of us. But talking about verse 17 and 18, rather verse 16 and 17, it's not just Jesus who does this. It is also fellow believers who do this. We pray for one another. And God in his sovereignty has so ordained the means by which his own grace nourishes his people. Yes, there is the role of Jesus, and we shall see that a little more in a, moment, a few minutes, but there's also the role that we play for one another. When we become aware of someone who is in sin and we cry to God, our very prayers mingled with the advocacy of our Lord Jesus Christ, God also uses that 
in order to, as it were, bring back a straying child of God. So we're still, in a sense, in the context of the reality of individuals battling sin and perhaps even failing here and there. And what God has put into the DNA of salvation to bring us back. So, Jesus plays an all-important role. And we are told in our text what that role is. So back to 1 John and chapter 5, verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. And here it is. But he who was born of God protects him. What is the second fact? We saw that the first is that the new birth produces upright living. That's the first fact we've seen. The new birth produces upright living. And I hope you use that as, as a way of testing yourself whether you are saved or not. To ask, has the change taken place in me? Have I gone from darkness to light? from being a lover of sin to a lover of righteousness. Has that happened to me? But the second fact, which we are now seeing here, is uh, the fact that Jesus protects all who are God's children. Jesus protects all who are God's children. Now, uh, the verse that we've just read, uh, John says uh, that the one who has been born of God um, protects him. The, the actual rendering of the text is a little ambiguous because sometimes, at least in some versions, um, they've taken the position that the, the one who is born of God is referring to the same one that was mentioned earlier. And so protecting him is in terms of protecting himself. In other words, the individual himself is doing his best to keep away from the ways of sin. And there's some truth to it, because let's, let's, let's face the fact that if you've become a Christian, you, you don't play close to the fire. You don't do that, because you are mindful of the fact that, if I could use the expression, your clothes are drenched with fuel or petrol. So you, you don't play close to the fire. You, you don't, you know, sort of always trying to be in private places with your girlfriend or boyfriend. I mean, you, you may easily fall into sexual sin. You know that. You, you are very careful about what company you keep around yourself because you know that health is not contagious. Disease is. And consequently, uh, the, the diseased souls might, in fact, uh, infect me as a result. So th there's a sense in which it is our responsibility to, to keep away from blue movies, to keep away from certain companies so that our souls remain clean. But John must clearly be saying a lot more than this. And uh, the one who has been born of God must be the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the, the, he, he is using that phrase to show the, the closeness of this relationship between Jesus and ourselves. We are born of God. He was born of God. He is the only begotten son. He is our elder brother. Consequently, his very, very, 
very interested in our well-being and he ensures he plays his role to look after us. John refers to this in at least two other passages. Uh, John chapter, the, the gospel of John chapter 17 and then also uh, the book of Revelation. So let's quickly peep there. Uh, John 17. John 17. This is about the, the initial group of disciples that he had called out of the world. John 17. Let's begin from verse 11. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scriptures might be fulfilled. So clearly the Lord Jesus Christ here in his high priestly prayer is saying to the Father that this role of, of keeping your people safe, please do it even as I come to heaven. But even as he's there, it is his responsibility as the elder brother of those that the Father has given him to genuinely keep them in the midst of this evil world that he keeps referring to, they are to be kept by him and by the Father. And then Revelation chapter 3, which was also written by the same John, and one of the reasons why I'm keeping you with John here is primarily because I'm arguing that, in fact, that's really what he is saying in the previous uh, book, in, in 1 John chapter 5. So Revelation chapter 3, and uh, I begin reading from, from verse 9. It says there, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. This is the letter he dict Jesus dictated to, to John to go to the, letter, to the people in Philadelphia, the church in Philadelphia. I'll make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. They will learn that. But listen to this. Because you've kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. So he's in charge of history. And he is noticing there what's happening in the church in Philadelphia. And he's saying, I am the one who's bringing a time of trial upon the earth, but I will preserve you in the midst of all that trial. Well, brethren, I think the picture is obvious here. When it says in 1 John that he who was born of God protects him. 
some of your versions may say keeps him and that's the picture of being in the father's hand being in Jesus's hand and no one can snatch you out of that hand nobody can do it that's how safe you are when you are a child of God in Jesus's hand the sovereign ruler of the universe in the father's hand as well the first and second person of the Trinity and the Holy Spirit is inside you working in you to make you hate sin and really hate it to make you thirst after righteousness and really thirst after higher levels of righteousness the point is obvious how can the evil one snatch you because that's the picture here that's the picture he keeps you in his hands I wish I knew this in that one year I lost before I got converted rather before I was baptized I wish I knew this to realize that it's not about me and my ability and capacity it's about the Trinity himself God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And what he does now with his children. What a glorious God he is. I would have been like this person I've heard about who was baptized, rather got saved in March and was being baptized now. So of just taking off the shackles of sin and saying, hey, come, dip me. What are we waiting for? Why should I wait? Isn't that the way it used to be in Bible times? There wasn't even baptismal lessons. I repent in the water. I should show it publicly because my Jesus saves and keeps. He saves and keeps. He saves and keeps. And the result of that is the third fact. Let's hurry on to the third fact. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who has been born of God, referring to Jesus, protects him, keeps him, guards him, watches over him. And here's the third fact. And the evil one does not touch the point that's being made there is that the Satan cannot make God's child fall permanently. He cannot grab that which is in Jesus' hand and run away with it or with him. He can't. That's the point that is being made here. And again, let's begin with the, the, the bad news in that third fact. And the bad news is this. Satan is real. He's being called here the evil one. Even in the next verse, listen to this, verse 19. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. In other words, he is a real, evil-minded, malicious being who has a lot of power 
He has the capacity to ruin the lives of individuals. And he wants to ruin even those who have escaped his clutches. Even they are targets of his negative mind, his evil mind. Again, all this again to say to us, friends, we are not in a playground. We are in a battlefield. And the sooner we realize that, the better. Because the way in which some of us play with close to the fire is as though there's nobody who is near us who wants to push us into the fire. He's here, the evil one. And he wants to do everything possible to mess you up. And if it was in his power to grab you and bring you back into enslavement to sin, enslavement in his kingdom. And every day of your life, he is there. Bringing temptation. Bringing trial. Bringing temptation. Bringing trial. And in a very clever and subtle way, seeking just the right kind of temptation for the right situation in which you are, so as to bring you down. The best example I think we have of this uh, is in Luke chapter 22. It's the second saddest situation among the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this passage, it hasn't happened yet. But there was one problem with Peter. And it was this. He was full of self-confidence. Full of it. And every so often he would say to the Lord Jesus Christ, that even if everybody runs away from you, me, I'm, I'll still be by your side. Trust me, Jesus. So in this passage, Jesus, in a sense, wanted to teach him a lifelong lesson. The way in which a woman in the village throws her cassava into the air to separate the husks from that which she wants to cook. That's what he's seeking to do, to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And that now is singular. You, Peter, have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Now you think, okay, so when, when the trial comes, Jesus has prayed so that Peter may not sin. That your faith may not fail. No. Peter sinned. He denied Jesus Christ three times on one occasion. I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. Etc. Etc. But listen to this. 
And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. When you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. In other words, your faith not failing is not suggesting that there won't be that moment when temptation and trial comes and consequently you sin. The difference is this, you don't remain in sin. And that's what happened to Peter. Whereas Judas, when he sinned, he remained in sin. He even committed suicide as a result of that. But you remember Peter, when this prophecy was fulfilled, verse 34, Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. When he heard the cock crowing, he was cut to the heart. And the Bible tells us that he went out crying. Went out crying. Why? His faith did not fail. Upheld by Jesus Christ. I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. And that's what John has in mind here. Remember he had said in chapter 2, I'm writing these things to you so that you do not sin. But if you do sin, in other words, he recognizes the fact that, yes, Jesus has changed our hearts. Yes, there is a new love for, for God, a new love for righteousness, and, and so on and so forth. But in the midst of, of the pressure of trials, of, of the pressure of temptations, we may sin. But if you're a true child of God, you will arise out of that. And you will so resolve never, never, never to go that way again. And the evil one realizes that he had a better chance with you before than with you now. You have learned a bitter lesson from playing near the fire. The evil one will not touch him in terms of grasping him, catching him, and snatching him out of the hand of the Savior, out of the hand of God. It will not happen. So friends, rejoice. Rejoice because Satan, yes, he will tempt you to sin. But he can never make you keep on sinning. If you are a true child of God, he can never do that. What have I got to say then as I close? First of all, a Christian must always be conscious that he's in a world of two opposing spiritual forces in his life. That's not what you will read in the newspapers. That's not what you will see in, in sort of your average um, readings and lessons around you and what is being spoken about in the world. That's not what you read there or listen to. But the Bible will tell you again and again and again that there are two kingdoms. Yes, ultimately the winning kingdom is that of God, the creator of the universe, the governor of history. But there has been a rebellion among the angels and certain leads 
his own legion and out of that he seeks to destroy that which God has made. And you as a human being on earth, you are in the midst of that fight. Remember that when you're at home, when you're in the office, when you're socializing. Remember that there's a spiritual realm where this is happening. Now here's the point. If as an individual, you're one who's always yielding to sin, whether you're living in it secretly because you've claimed to become a Christian, or you've never even claimed to be a Christian and you're living in it publicly, the evil one, has you in his clutches and he wants to keep you there because he knows the real God of heaven is a God of holiness, a God of righteousness, a God of justice and the moment you sin unto death, the sin that leads to death and he still has you in his hands, that's it. That's it. That's it. He has won. So realize this, that if you are somebody who's still living in sin, even if you claim to be a Christian, now listen to me, you are not one. And the sooner you go to Jesus Christ to plead with him that he may really, 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 really save you, the better. Because I want to repeat, he's a savior. He's the real savior. And he doesn't just save from the hell where sin takes us. He saves us from the sin that takes us to hell. He does. He enables us by his grace to say no to all ungodliness and worldly passions in this same present age and gives us the capacity to live an upright and godly life. He does. It's sad that so many people listen to what I'm saying right now and still say, well, I think me, I'm just weak. And go out of these doors, back into sin, and still saying I'm still a Christian. Friend, why stop when a gospel feast has been presented before you and it's free? Why? Jesus stands before you and says, look, come to me, I will save you from your sin. I will change you and you will know it because there will be a moral transformation. Come to me as you are with all your present struggles. Come to me. I will save you. You don't have to live a life of hypocrisy anymore. What will you answer today? What will you answer Thank God. If you're truly saved, you know what I'm talking about. You will experience the pool of temptation. You will experience the difficulties of struggle in the midst of trials. You may even yield as Peter did. However, you will not remain sin. Never. Never, a thousand times never. 
In fact, you will realize how big a fool you were when you discover there's no joy. The joy that you were chasing for isn't there. Sinners, they enjoy their sin, they are laughing about it the following day and weeks to come, but you are a miserable, miserable Lord because your conscience is alive, the Spirit of God is in you and He's saying to you, you've sinned, you've sinned, you've sinned and consequently you have to arise and come back to Him who has saved you, whose grace cannot be defeated and he wants to take you to heaven. This is the reason why I do want to end with one appeal, and it is this. In the moment of temptation, and you are seeing what looks like grass that's greener on the other side of the fence, don't go there. Don't. Don't let the evil one cheat you. Don't. Don't even contemplate a short visit. You will only soil your testimony. That's what you will do. You will only injure yourself spiritually. He will still get you back. But all the long road back to the Father. So don't even think like that. Don't even think. Because you are saved. You are saved. And as I said, Jesus doesn't do half jobs. To borrow the words of the hymn we'll be singing as we close, the work which his goodness began, the arm of his strength will come. That which he has begun, yes, there it is. The work which his goodness began, the arm of his strength will complete. Things future, no things that are now, no things below or above, cannot make him his purpose for God or save my soul from his life. What is it? What is it? While the battle continues, brethren, we can be confident. I'll go to heaven. I'll get to heaven. None believers think we're being proud, isn't it? They say, how do you know, how do you know, how do you know? Oh, he saved me. But how do you know you get there? He never does have jokes. He saved me from sin, he take me to heaven. What a savior. What is it? Amen.